Excellent. All right, guys. <clears throat> we'll give everybody a minute to get here. And before we start, I guess I should apologize. Uh, I forgot to tell you that we were going to do the live stream tonight. I put it out on social media, on Instagram and uh, Twitter, but I forgot to put it out on here. So um, sorry about that. Hopefully enough people will still get the notice that we'll have uh, enough participation to make it interesting and fun for everybody. Steve, Aiden, Jake, hey guys. Good to see you on here. Just going to give everybody a couple of minutes to get on. Thank you, Catherine. Jimmy, good to see you. Sarah, hey guys. Oh, so I was saying right before everybody started showing up that I forgot to let you guys know that we were doing this this afternoon, that I posted it on uh, social media but I forgot to post it on here. So hopefully I didn't catch everybody by surprise. Thank you, S. So tonight, while we are waiting for everybody to get here, uh, we're gonna be talking about the major arcana cards. And we'll get to that in a couple seconds, but also wanted to say, just uh, bear with me a little bit. I feel really, really uh, kind of, Addled, I guess, you know, this, this move has taken a lot out of me. And then you add into, you know, it's, it's like, it's just kind of been one thing after another, uh, stress wise. Like we had to have our 23 year old cat, um, put down this week. Uh, she, you know, she's 23 years old, which makes her over a hundred years old for a cat. Uh, so she wasn't doing very well. Michael, good to see you. For your first time here, I'm glad to see you. Uh, and then today, you know, it's what another of our cats, uh, she has lived her entire life. She's only four years old and she's lived her entire life in the past apartment. Uh, so coming in here, we didn't realize what a shock it was going to be to her. You know, she kind of stopped eating, she stopped drinking. Um, she's hiding under things. She, she, you know, she's not herself at all. Uh, so we started doing research and it turns out that, you know, for that in her world, that's the equivalent of if we were taken and dropped off on another planet somewhere, uh, and just expected to understand how things function. And I can understand that to a very high degree, just because that's kind of what happened to me whenever I got out of prison. You know, it was like I was an alien dropped off in a completely new world that I didn't understand and just expected to uh, find my way, figure out what I was doing. Yeah, TJ talking about his cat didn't like moving. He lives in a church and he said his cat didn't like moving into the church either. Yeah, cats are not really great travelers. You know, dogs love riding in cars. They love going places. Uh, cats are very, very stationary creatures. They're not big on moving. Okay, guys, we are up to 51 people, and I don't want to keep y'all just waiting, so I guess we can get started. And when people join us later, 
Marianne, it's good to see you. And people join us later. I guess they can rewind or whatever you call it now that everything is digital. Uh, oh, Jen says you should try to get some fell away, F-E-L-I-W-A-Y. I have no idea what that is. What is that? Because I'm, I'll try uh, pretty much anything to get her back to normal at this point. She seems to be really suffering. Okay, guys, I am going to uh, cover up the comments for now because you know that I always forget what the hell we're talking about uh, whenever I'm watching what you guys are talking about. Oh, they're cat pheromones. It makes them feel familiar. They use it in shelters. I'm going to write that down. F-E-L-I-W-A-Y. Fell away and their cat pheromones. I'm going to go out and look for that. Excellent. Very good. Thanks. Oh, Aiden says they sell it at PetSmart, etc. Excellent, guys. Thank you for that. Uh, I will definitely go out and get some of that, either tonight or first thing in the morning. Okay, very good. There's either sprays or wall plugins. Go to Petco. Excellent. That is what I will do. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so now I'm going to cover up the comments so that I don't forget what we're talking about. What am I covering up with? I'm covering up with the Knight of Pentacles so that I don't see what you guys are talking about. Okay, so uh, when we did a, a talk, a class on the tarot recently, a few, well, was it a couple weeks ago now? We were talking about, one of the first things I started off talking about is how there's essentially two kinds of cards in the deck, what they call the major arcana cards and the minor arcana cards. So the word arcana is just Latin for secrets. So minor arcana means little secrets, Major arcana means big secrets. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the big secrets. So when you're talking about the, the minor arcana cards, you know, the wands, the pinnacles, the swords, uh, the cups, those usually are about day-to-day -day life. You know, the things we face in normal day environment, normal everyday circumstances. There are relationships with our family, you know, our, our jobs, our emotional life, what's going on on our heads, our intellect, all that sort of stuff. That's what the minor arcana cards point to. Um, and not that that's not important. Uh, that is, those things are tremendously important. You know, there are massive lessons to be learned that can only be learned through those things. You know, if you really stop and think about it, pretty much everything that we learn in this world that is of major significance, we learn from our relationships with other people. It could be, you know, things to do or it could be things to not do. It could be we learn more about what we want in our lives. We learn more about what we don't want in our lives. We learn about the directions we want to go. We learn about the directions we don't want to go. You know, there are massive lessons to be learned in the minor arcana cards. So just, you know, them being called minor, uh, it doesn't mean they're not important because they are. Um, but 
what the major arcana cards are, I always tell people that what they do is show where we are in the process of our self-development or our self-actualization or where we are on the path towards, you know, what some traditions call enlightenment. But technically in magic, what the major arcana cards are, what they point to is they map out the process of initiation. And initiation is, you know, it, it means a few different things. Like, for example, whenever you're activate, where we are on our on our way towards understanding not only the completion of the great work, but where we are in that process and what we need to do in order to further it, as well as like pitfalls that we may face uh, and, and fall into that will stunt our development. Um, so. Technically, that's what the major arcana cards are. They are a map of the initiation process. And we'll talk more about exactly what that means as we go through each of the cards. Uh, but I'm just going to get started. You know, we'll start off with the first card. And the first card is not number one. The first card is actually, you'll see at the top here, he's listed as zero, the fool. So what that means, zero, zero is not a number. It's an absence of numbers. So what that means is this is this indicates someone who has yet to even begin the initiation process, but they're getting ready to begin the initiation process. He's getting ready to take his first step and he's getting ready to take his first step into the great unknown, stepping off of this cliff and having faith that divinity is going to catch him. You know, what this card means, like when you see it in a reading, a lot of times it means like new beginnings. It means having faith in things because he's having faith that whenever he steps over this cliff, that divinity is going to be there to support him. That He's not just going to plummet to his death. It means not knowing what to expect because he's never made this voyage before. Doesn't know where this process is going to end up. He doesn't know what to expect, but what he does know is that the way he has lived his life up until this point is not satisfactory. There is a hole in his existence. What I mean by a hole is this is someone who has started to realize that all the things that we are taught by society that will fulfill us as people do not, will not and cannot ever make us feel whole because society always tells us that uh, it's going to be something outside of you that makes you feel fulfilled. Something, you know, whether it's a mate, whether it's, you know, success, what the world views as success in a job, or, or whether it's having 2.5 kids living in the suburbs, having a car that's better than your neighbor's, once you get all of those things, you realize that none of those things are ever going to be enough to make you feel fulfilled. They may make you, you know, excited for a short period of time. You know, you get that uh, initial rush because you've got something new or you've accomplished something new or you've obtained something new, you've done something new, but that rush is going to wear off. It will always wear off. And the fool is someone who has realized that all of the things that we are taught to have faith in 
whether that be science, whether that be philosophy, whether that be religion, whatever it is, whether that be, you know, the, the, the morals and standards and ideas that are, you know, passed through us by cultural programming, all of those sorts of things. The fool is someone who has learned that none of those things are going to answer or, or kind of solve this yearning within him. This is whenever someone looks around themselves, looks at the world and says, there has got to be more than this. This can't be all there is. None of this makes sense. This is just random, pointless things. Nobody really understands anything. Nobody knows anything. They're all just sort of trying to figure it out as they go along. The fool is someone who thinks there has got to be a way to understand this madness that I have found myself in the midst of. Graham Hancock, if you've ever read his writing, he says that humanity is a species with amnesia. We don't remember where we came from. We don't remember where we're supposed to be going. And we don't know that we have not the first idea of how we're supposed to get there. All we know is this isn't enough and this doesn't make sense. The fool is someone who has arrived at that point and is ready to start the process of learning, understanding, who's ready to take the first step on the process of, through the process of initiation. That's what the fool is. So we go from uh, the, the fool with card zero. Oh, and let me tell you something else. He's not always card zero. In some decks, he is, uh, let me see, what was, so the, the final card, they, there are 22 major arcana cards, but they're only numbered zero through 21. In some decks, the fool is also number 22 because the path of initiation never really ends. You reach the end of certain aspects, you learn certain things, you master certain lessons, but as soon as you do, you will find that the process starts over and you have to start integrating those lessons into life in a completely new way. So that's why the fool is not only zero, but he is also uh, 22. From the fool, you go to card number one, the magician. This is someone who has taken the very first step on the path of initiation. The fool is someone who does not know. The magician is someone who has started to know. So whenever you see this in a reading, for example, you know, when you're doing a tarot reading for someone and this comes up, what it usually represents is someone who at this point in their life and in this particular circumstance or situation has all the talents, the capabilities, the resources, everything that they need to succeed in whatever the task is that's at hand, whatever they're dealing with right now. So, but also, if you remember where this, what this indicates on the path of initiation, remember we've been reading the Franz Barden book and doing some of the exercise he talks about. I've been doing readings from it, breaking some of it down, explaining what a lot of it means. Uh, and he talks about how the first step in the path of initiation is mastery of the elements. So you see that on the table in front of him, you see the wand, you see the sword, you see the cup, and you see the pentacle all of the suits of the minor arcana. So the wand is fire, the sword is air, 
the cup is water, the pentacle is earth. So wands represent your inner life force, your ambition, your drive, your creativity, all of that sort of stuff, your very life force itself. That's what the wand represents. The sword represents your intellect, your ability to use logic and reason to think your way through things. Most people, now that sounds crazy. That doesn't sound like a super ability or anything, but most people do not really think. They don't think clearly or they only think um, in little spurts. The vast majority of the time, they operate on emotion they operate on projection. They operate on what they want to be true. If you, you know, you will almost everyone at some point in their life will come in contact with a person that no matter what you put in front of their face to show them, you know, something isn't true, you know, something that they want to be true, no matter how, you know, you can show them 100% positive evidence that what they're hoping for or what they want to be true is not true and they will not see it. It's like they have a blinder on because they do not want to accept it. That's someone who is not utilizing that faculty of thought. Uh, they're operating more through, you know, a bunch of unconscious, subconscious drives, desires. Uh, what do they call that? Um, I forget what it's called. There's a word for it. Whenever you act on um, compulsions, uh, it, they are <clears throat> acting a great deal on unconscious compulsions and projections. Uh, the cups represent the emotions, the unconscious mind, the subconscious mind, all those things that are going on in us internally, in our heart world. You know, the, the sword is the intellect world, the head world, the cups is the heart world. So uh, what did I leave out? Cups, oh, pinnacles. Pentacles represent the hardcore physical world. They represent not just your body, but also your finances, um, your health, Everything that you own, everything you can put your hands on, those are represented by pinnacles. So the fact that all four of them are on the table in front of the magician means that he has mastered the four elements. This is someone who has started doing like the lesser invoking, the lesser banishing, who is using all four elements to not only stabilize and balance the energies within them, but they are also learning how to manifest the world and the life that they want to experience with the help of that balance that is now within them, as well as being able to shape reality. Now, this is one of those things that people will try to argue with you about sometimes, and I never try to convince them because, you know, everybody is at their own stage in awakening and understanding how the world works and how the universe works, all this sort of thing, people will try to tell you that you cannot shape reality, that you are absolutely helpless. That is not true. You can learn that it is not true from firsthand experience. You know, when Lori used to come see me in prison, she used to say that it always seemed like I was like I owned my world, like I was in complete control of what was going on around me. And 
a lot of that came from the fact that by the time I walked out of prison, I didn't even feel like I was in prison anymore. I didn't think about it like I was in prison. That cell felt more to me like a control tower. I was in a control tower where I could reach out and touch anything, any place or anyone in the world. And to a greater or lesser extent, in some way, uh, shape reality as I was experiencing it. That's what the magician is. He's the person who has accomplished that. But keep in mind, this is the very first step in the process. You know, this we're, we're nowhere near the end of the cards. And this is the very first step. But even that is a massive undertaking. That's that's a when you reach this stage, your life will change in ways uh, that you will not even believe are possible before you begin to, to walk down this path. From the magician, we go to card two, the high priestess. So whenever you see this card in a reading, if it pops up in a tarot spread, what it usually signifies is stillness. You know, the magician is all about affecting the outside world. Like I said, my cell started to feel like a control tower. And that was because I felt like I could have an effect on my reality. Even if, if I had no, you know, I couldn't touch anything. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. Most people, if they did not have access to magic, would have felt completely and absolutely helpless at that point. Most people feel like if they can't use their hands, if they can't use their money, if they can't do something out here physically, then there's nothing that they can do to change reality. So it's all about affecting outward things, outward circumstances, outward situations, shaping your world. The high priestess, on the other hand, is about turning inwards and withdrawing from the world. Uh, she, if you'll notice, she's also crowned with the sun. That's what that little circle represents. It's the sun. And she has the moon at her feet, like the queen of heaven, or like the woman talked about in the book of Revelation. What this indicates is, as the magician, yes, you have started to be able to create the reality that you want to experience. But now it's time to turn within yourself and figure out exactly what you want to create. You know, as the magician, you may just be putting out fires. You know, you may be doing rituals to affect your financial situation, affect your, affect your love life, affect your health all of these different things, putting out fires. The high priestess is about turning within and figuring out what is it in my life that I've been doing that doesn't make me happy, that doesn't make me fulfilled. Why have I been doing those things? Just out of obligation? Just because society makes me feel like that's the thing I have to do? Just because my family has these expectations? Just because my boss is making these demands that, that I'm going to get fired if I don't carry out? This is about turning within and figuring out what do I really want? Because most people don't know that. You would be amazed at how many people, when you talk to them, if you ask them, do you have a plan for the future? Is there something that you're working towards? Is there something that you want? 
I would say probably 70, anywhere from 75 to 90% of the people that you ask that will say, no, not really. It's because they don't even understand what they want yet. They know that where they're at is not where they want to stay, but they don't know where they're wanting to go. So the high priestess is about self-knowledge. That's what the, the, the water behind the curtain and on this curtain, these are pomegranates. You know, the story in Persephone and Hades and Persephone descending to the underworld and she eats pomegranate seeds. So from that point on, she has to spend part of her year in the underworld. That's the pomegranate. The underworld is your inside, your unconscious, your subconscious, the deep parts of yourself. She has to, she is the one who grants access to those deep parts of us. By turning inwards, we gain access to those parts. And that's what the water behind her represents. So you go from being able to shape reality to trying to figure out exactly what you want your reality to look like and then going from there. That leads us to the third one, the empress. This, the empress, she represents like whenever you see her come up in a reading, she represents creation and creation of, of all different kinds. She could mean creation of art. She could mean creating romance. She could be, she could be signifying creating a new business, uh, a, a new worldview, a new way of living. She is the embodiment of creation period and that's why you see uh like the venus oh the other thing about that you'll see the venus here that's the symbol for venus on her shield the crown on her head she has 12 stars the 12 stars represent the 12 constellations of the zodiac this represents the planet of venus so this card is deeply tied into inanna the High Priestess was tied into Persephone and Hades. This card corresponds with the Sumerian goddess Inanna and all of those later goddesses that would come after her. But this is whenever you come out of that internal reflection, figuring out what you want your life to be, and then you start creating it. She represents pure, unbridled love of building. And she's doing it, you know, Venus always represents like a luxury and finery and sensuality. And by sensuality, I mean enjoying the sense pleasures. You know, that's the reason everybody wants to come into this world. Most people here talk about how they can't wait to ascend to somewhere else or go somewhere else. People that aren't here, this is where everybody wants to be, this world the physical world, the material world. The reason they want to be here is because this is where you can touch things. This is where you can taste things. This is where you can experience other people, where you can experience all of the things that the sense pleasures have to offer us. There is a lot of lessons to learn in just how it feels to interact with reality, the pleasure of it, the pain of it, and how I mean, it's like I said, this place and getting to be here, this is a miracle in and of itself. This isn't something to just look down on. Like, I can't wait to get somewhere else. This is the somewhere else. She represents making it what you want it to be. From her, you go to the emperor. It's the fourth card. 
So the emperor represents, like if the empress represents pure, unbridled creativity, you know, just doing whatever she wants. You know, remember the other day when I was talking about the word God, how it means generate, order, and destroy, because those are the three aspects of what divinity does. It generates forms and then it orders them. And then once they reach a point of stagnation, it destroys them so that new forms can be created and come into being. Well, he is, if the empress is the generating principle, the G in God, he is the O in God. He is the ordering principle. He represents stability, security. If this comes up in a reading, it, it signifies somebody who is in control of their, their life. Somebody, one who has through their will imposed order and structure on the world around them. They're not just willy nilly creating anymore, but they've started to put it all into place, into order. But the thing is, if you notice the background around him, there's nothing growing. You know, there's no greenery. It's all sterile environment. That represents how once you or once you get past a certain point in the ordering process, then there's no more freedom. There's no more creativity. Everything will start to die off. And that's what leads to the D in God, the death. Because once you order it past a certain point, there's no more surprises. There's no more growth. None of that sort of stuff. So everything begins to stagnate. So the point of this card is that you have to have order in order to reach higher levels of success. But if you go too far in the ordering process, your life will be filled with sterility. You go from the emperor to the hierophant. This is a card that a lot of people don't like just because it reminds them of like the Catholic Church or a priest or something like that. And technically, that is what the word hierophant means. It means high priest in Greek. And this card, when it, oh, oh, another thing. You see, he has the keys to heaven and hell at his feet. In some decks, it'll be one gold card, uh, one gold key and one silver key. And this one, they're both gold. But what those represent are the keys to heaven and hell. Uh, he also represents like tradition and conventional thinking, conventional ways of acting. You know, he does represent like religious institutions, like say, for example, the Catholic church, he can represent that, but he is also the high priest. What the high priest is the hierophant. Like when you're going through a golden dawn or like different initiation rituals, uh, it is the high priest who actually does the vast majority of the work in the initiation process. When you're being initiated and carried around to these different stations, it's the high priest who serves as your escort and explains to you exactly what you're seeing and what the significance is, all of that sort of stuff. So when the hierophant comes up in a reading, this represents someone who will initiate you into a new way of understanding. This is the very first step in the initiation process beyond what most people perceive as the world. You know, all the way up until you get to the emperor, it's all about conventional knowledge, conventional wisdom, affecting the world in very low level ways. 
The hierophant is the person who introduces you to the fact that there is much, much more going on behind the scenes of reality than you have ever been taught, ever been told, or ever been exposed to in your life. The hierophant is the beginning of ripping the curtain away so that you begin to catch glimpses of the mechanics behind the way the universe works, the machinery behind the way things works. That's what the hierophant is. He is the person who will initiate you into the knowledge that this world is not what you have been taught that it is. So from the hierophant, we go to the lovers. Now, a lot of people, whenever they see this, they think it means, uh, you know, the first thing people will think of is romance just because it's called The Lovers. I don't really think of this card. I mean, and, and that can actually be, it can have connotations uh, that represent like some sort of uh, romantic relationship. But for me, far more often than not, when I think of that, uh, I usually think of the Two of Cups. You know, that's more of a, like a worldly type of relationship, you know, a normal relationship with another person. This, on the other hand, whenever you see the lovers come up in a reading, it usually means someone who is at a crossroad or they are about to be making choices that have lasting ramifications on their life. Uh, and, and what these choices are, first off, in this card, you see one man and one woman. This is like Supposedly Adam and Eve, you see the tree of knowledge and the tree of life behind them. In the older cards, there would actually be two women. There would be two women and a man standing in between them, like he's making a choice. And that's what this card is usually about doing, is making a choice. But not just like an everyday choice. Remember how the Hierophant is the person who initiates you into the fact that there is much more going on behind the scenes of this world than, than the average person ever will even begin to grasp? You know, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Like we hear about like, say, for example, Stephen Hawking, you know, they say he's like the, 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 the smartest man who's ever lived. I heard him say something one time. He said that, no, he does not believe that there is a God, but even if there were a God, that we would have no way of interacting with it. And it was it, when he said that, it blew my mind because I thought, here is the man that the world tells us is like the wisest person. And he's telling me that I can't do something that I have done. It reminded me of an old saying. They say those who say that something can't be done should just get out of the way of those who are doing it. That is very, very much in a line with the conventional wisdom of this world. This world will try to convince you of what your limitations are. Most people in this world do not understand what your limitations are. Your limitations are not anywhere near as low or as small as you are led to believe. So what this represents is if the Hierophant is the initiator, your beginning peak behind the scenes at the machinery of reality, this card is about making choices about what you're going to do next. 
Are you going to stop right there? Are you going to stick and stay for the rest of this lifetime? And a lot of people do. A lot of people, I would say the vast majority of people don't make it this far. You know, this is only card six out of 20 something. Most people do not even make it this far to the to the sixth card. A lot of people who do make it this far will decide that they don't want to go any further. This is about making choices that are based on, you know, most of the choices we make in our lives are about temporary things. You know, we, we choose because we want something easy. We want something fast. Uh, we want a lot of the things that we've been told that we should want. You know, we want to own our own house or own a car, or, you know, have 2.5 kids and retire one day and get a gold pocket watch. You know, we're taught that these are the things that we're supposed to strive for. By this point, you will know that those things will never fulfill you, but you will also start to learn that you can either keep making these choices that lead you back into to a certain extent. You'll never, once you reach a, a different, you know, stages of the initiation process, it will be impossible for you to ever slip back into thinking or understanding or experiencing reality that most people do. Uh, you can't ever slip back to that. But this card represents making choices that will lead you further and further away from this world, from the understanding of this world, from the values of this world, from the things that you're taught we should want. This is about making choices based on what you truly do want and what's going to take you to the next step of the process. And this also, I should point out that this is Raphael. All of the four major archangels appear in these cards with the exception of Uriel. This is the first one. This is Raphael, Archangel of the East. We'll get to the others in a couple of minutes. But you go from the lovers, which is all about making these uh, decisions, to the next card is the chariot, card seven. And you'll see a lot of, of imagery in this card that is very symbolic. Like, for example, if you can see on a shield right here, this is, it looks like a circle, a disc of wood with a hole in the middle of it, and a peg inserted through that with the winged disc above it. That represents the union of masculine and feminine energies, the union of opposites, like they call it in magic. And that leads to the whole towards what people would think of as ascension whenever you complete the union of opposites. So there's all kinds of little things in this. You see, he's also, he's got the universe above him, the stars above him. Whenever you see this in a reading, like if you're doing a reading for someone and this card comes up, what it means is like overcoming conflict, moving forward. It means like to keep going through sheer hard work and commitment. And how that's symbolized is you see the sphinxes that pull his chariot. He doesn't even have reins attached to them. He has nothing physical to drive them forward. He drives them forward through his will alone. It is his will that he uses to control the direction that the sphinxes carry him in. And once again, that's exactly what you're going to use as you progress along the path of magic. This is about whenever it's not that fun anymore. 
you know, you've realized this is going to be a lot of hard work. You can never go back to the world that you knew before you started this path. The only way that the only thing that's going to help you at this point, like in Buddhism, they say, uh, like in Zen, they would say it's better to never start this work. But once you do start this work, it's best to go on and finish it as quickly as possible. That's what he represents. The chariot is when you reach the phase where this isn't fun anymore because you don't, you can't go back to the things you used to do. You can't hang out at the pub drinking all night and just chatting with your friends and, you know, doing these dead end activities that don't lead to anything higher. That's never going to be fulfilling to you anymore. Whenever you're there, if you do try to do those things, you'll find yourself feeling completely and like you are in back in a world that means absolutely nothing whatsoever. He represents harnessing your willpower to go further, even when you don't feel like it. You know, like, for example, you will reach a time when you're doing the rituals of magic. When you're doing like the only way you're ever going to keep going is if you maintain and establish and maintain an everyday practice, not once a month, not once a week. You have to dedicate yourself to this every day. And when you do that, it'll be it will end up being like going to the gym every day. You know, there are times when you get up and you you think, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, you know, it's not fun having to go and lift this weight. It's not fun having to go and, and get on the treadmill. But you have seen how it's changed your life to do it. You've seen how much better you feel. You've seen all the reward that you get from it. So you keep making yourself do it out of sheer discipline. That's what he represents. Most people in this world have never do not possess that level of discipline because they've never made themselves go through something like this. You know, John Michael Greer one time said that whenever you're doing this work, you will learn a lot about yourself. And one of those things that you learn about yourself could be that you don't have the discipline to do this. It's a painful realization to come through, to, to realize that you possess that amount of weakness, but it's still knowledge. And that's what he represents. He represents doing it through sheer willpower. From him, you go to the strength card, card eight. And for some reason, this has always been one of my favorite cards in the deck. You see, like on the woman's face, well, whenever you see this come up in a reading, you know, the woman doesn't look angry. She's closing the lion's mouth, using both of her hands to kind of gently push it shut. Look at her face. It's not straining. It's not angry. There's nothing fierce going on in this card. She looks calm. She looks gentle, but she is still dominating the lion. Kind of like Daniel in the lion's den. You know, I have a, a, a print of Daniel in the lion's den hanging over my bed. You know, you see in all of the old Sumerian artwork, all of these kings that are fighting lions, they are literally fighting them. They're driving swords through them or they're shooting arrows at them or they're wrestling and grappling with them. They're going at it through sheer force to, to dominate these lions. Daniel, on the other hand, does not even look at them. 
he keeps his eyes on the light. He's in this lion's den. There's a shaft of light coming down from above, and he keeps his focus on that light. He knows as long as he's focused on that light, he doesn't have to fight the lions. The light will handle that for him. All he has to do is stay focused, stay gentle, stay humble. That's exactly what she's doing in this card. So whenever this comes up in a reading, it'll mean like a triumphant conclusion, you know, like a successful end to something due to your inner power and your inner strength. So we go from the chariot, which is all about harnessing that hardness and that force against the outer world to keep going. This is telling you, don't beat the hell out of yourself. Yes, you have to have that discipline if you want to keep making progress. But at the same time, you don't beat the hell out of yourself. You do it gently. This is a higher card than the chariot. The chariot is seven. That's a lower lesson than this is. This is higher on the spectrum of initiation. This is when you learn not just to be forceful, that, that strength is not always in force. Strength is also in being gentle, not just with yourself, but also in the outside world. You go from strength to the hermit. So this card bears a lot of resemblance to the high priestess. Remember a while ago when we started off the high priestess, we were talking about how it's more of an internal card. This is, an, this is also an internal card. This represents withdrawing from the world and looking for answers within yourself again, just like the high priestess. It's even said sometimes in tarot that what the hermit is, is he is the fool after he's grown older and wiser. The lantern represents his past experiences that he's using as a guide to guide himself forward. Usually what this means is like, once again, kind of like the high priestess, it's about withdrawing from the world, but it's going to be on a higher frequency in a higher way. Like, again, it's about realizing that, remember how all of the tarot is a cycle. You're going to go back and forth between outward directed force and inward directed attention, focusing, you know, inside yourself. You're going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That is a never ending process. Like the chariot, for example, and the, the, the strength card, both of those are about dealing with the outside world. This is about once again, turning to the inside world for a period of inner reflection. It means you have to withdraw yourself from worldly interaction. There are times in magic, you don't completely swear the world off. You know, you don't completely renounce the world forever. But there are times when you cannot progress further if you do not withdraw your energy from the external world and turn it all inwards. Like, for example, whenever you start to do the... Uh, the HGA ritual, like if you're doing the opera Malin, or if you're doing any of the rituals to attain the knowledge and conversation of the HGA, those are going to be long time consuming rituals. And there are certain criteria that go along with it. Like for example, you know, 
always being fair in your business dealings, not trying to screw anyone, you know, not trying to get the upper hand on, on the people that you're dealing with, not telling lies, all of this sort of stuff. That's what he represents. He represents that period of withdrawing from the world. That's very, very hard for some people to do. You know, think about during this time of the pandemic, during this time when, you know, everybody's locked down, nobody can go out. Some people have thrived during this time. Other people have almost completely broken down. They've realized that they it's the people who need that constant interaction so that they never have to turn inwards. Those are the people who break the hardest. And that's one of the things you learn as the hermit. You learn not to break during those times whenever you have to separate yourself from the world. We go from the hermit to the wheel of fortune. Now, one thing about the Wheel of Fortune that you'll realize, if you look in all four corners, you will see the lion, the bull, the man, and the eagle. Once again, the four creatures, the four living creatures that make up the Lamasu, the four fixed signs of the Zodiac, the Sphinx. That's what those are. Those are Aquarius, Leo, Taurus, and Scorpio. They call them, uh, what's the word for them in astronomy? So, not circumpolar. Is it circumpolar? I think it is. Circumpolar stars. Uh, the, what, what they represent is every single night, all night long, those you will be able to see those the stars that make up those four constellations. You would even be able to see them in the daytime if the sun didn't blot them out. So what the, what this represents when it shows up in a, a reading is basically change. You know, it means making changes in your life based on the conclusions that you came to in the hermit stage. When you are going through the process, the period of initiation, which corresponds to the hermit, remember how, like with the high priestess, she turns inward, decides what she really wants, what really makes her happy, and then she directs that out into the world as the empress to bring about change. Once again, that cycle is being repeated. You turn inward with the hermit. And then what you, the realizations, the revelations, the epiphanies, the conclusions, all of those things that you come to as the hermit, during the hermit stage, once again, you direct it outwards to change your world, to once again, give it a shape that you want it to take, that makes you happy, not based on what other people want you to do, not based on what society tells you, not based on what religion wants of for you or of you, but what you want for yourself. Change. From the Wheel of Fortune, you go to Justice, card 11. Justice, whenever it shows up in a reading, it represents like the sword that cuts through a situation and will not be swayed by outer appearances, approval from the outside world, any of that sort of stuff. So once again, this takes off from the last card, from the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune is about 
shaping your outer world again in the direction you want it to go, the shape you want it to take, all of that. Justice represents arriving at that point in your life when you don't care what other people think about you. You cut right through all of that crap. You will not base your life. You will not base your decisions. You will not base the direction that you travel in on anything that anyone else says. You will begin following your true will. And that's what she represents. That's what the sword is. And that's also the, the balance. That's how you maintain that balance. Remember what I said a while ago about how a lot of people aren't really thinking you know, they are going by these these knee jerk emotional responses and uh, unconscious compulsive behaviors. You know, that's what's carrying them forward in life. Uh, she's the opposite of that. She is being fully and completely conscious and moving forward and cutting out of your life what no longer serves your higher good, what no longer makes you happy, and she will do it mercilessly because she does not act on emotion. She acts on intellect and what is going to serve her higher good. I'm going to stop in a couple of minutes. Uh, I thought we would have enough time to get all the way through these, but we're already coming up on an hour, uh, and I don't want to keep you guys on here all night, but we are up to uh, just about the middle point of uh, the initiation process, which corresponds to where you attain the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, but I'll do a couple of more just because they're connected. Remember how I said she's cutting, like mercilessly cutting things out of your life that don't serve, severing links, severing cords. Uh, that leads to the hanged man. The hanged man represents metamorphosis, change, and the ultimate surrender. When I was learning to read tarot, learning what the cards meant, uh, I would memorize one word that was like the embodiment of each card. The card, the word that I thought of for the hanged man was sacrifice. And keep in mind, there's nothing bad going on in this card, even though it's called the hanged man. He's not hanged by his neck. He's hanged by his foot. And if you see his face, it's not unpleasant. He's got like a slight smile on his face, and he's even got a halo blazing away around his head. This represents the things that you're cutting off with the justice card. Those are things that you're sacrificing. You know, things that may be pleasant, you know, like relationships with people that you've known your whole life, but that you know, you know, you will become like the people that you surround yourself with. Energy is very, very contagious in that way. She cuts that off. That's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that you have to make in order to reach higher states of existence, higher states of consciousness, higher states of initiation. He is all about giving up what is holding you back, even if it hurts like hell to do it. And even if it hurts like hell to do it, you will ultimately gain something even higher, better, or more uh, by giving up these things that don't serve your purpose. 
And let me think, let's do one more and then I'm going to stop and, and uncover and see what you guys are talking about and see if you have any questions or anything so far. But the next thing you go from with him, sacrifice, is to death. Death is the 13th card. So, you know, everybody pretty much knows by now that, that the death card is not about the actual death of a person, even though they always try to make it look like that in horror movies. And, you know, people see the death card come out and they freak out, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what, what the death card really means is change, but change sort of like in the tower card, it means an end. Something is coming to an end. And that's why you see the people in front of death. You see there's like a, a maiden, a beautiful maiden. There's a priest. There's a king. There's a child. What these represent is how no matter how holy you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how beautiful you are, no matter how rich and powerful you are, no one is immune to change. It trods over all of us in time. Nothing and no one can stay the same forever, no matter how much you want it to. So remember a second ago, whenever I said this implies an end, not just change, but an end to things. Usually what those things will be, what is ending here is your connections to the outside world. You will not share the same kind of relationships. And by relationships, I don't just mean your relationships with people. I mean your relationships to the entire world around you. You will not interact with the world in the same way anymore. That old life has come to an end. Whenever I personally started to experience this, I kind of realize, you know how I'm talking about in the tarot, you have these, these repeating cycles, inward, outward, inward, outward, inward, outward. When I got out of prison, I was completely and absolutely destroyed. I cannot even remember the first two years that I was out. If you add up everything that I can remember from those first two years, it would equal a few hours a few sketchy bits and piece, pieces of hours. I remember almost nothing. I was psychologically destroyed. I was emotionally destroyed. I was spiritually destroyed. I could not do magic anymore. I could not read books anymore. When I was in prison, I used to read like five books a week. The day that I walked out, I was so psychologically shattered that I would read the same page of the book over and over and over and not be able to maintain what I had read when I got to the bottom of the page. I couldn't watch movies because I could not follow the plot. I would meet people and introduce myself to them two or three times because even if I'd had dinner with them, I could not maintain that, that memory of them. I had to start over from ground zero. You know, by the, the day before I walked out of prison, I was doing ritual work for up to eight hours a day. Like I said, it was like I controlled my world. I controlled my environment. I felt like I was in a control tower where I could reach out and do anything. Suddenly, the day I walked out of prison, all of that was gone. That whole part of my life came to an end, was completely destroyed, and I had to start over. 
that will be true of every single person in this world one day. It may not happen to you in this lifetime, but when you die and you go through the process of incarnation again, when you come back, you will be starting over from scratch. Everybody goes through this change. But one thing that I realized, the reason I brought that up about the, the whole prison thing is because what eventually allowed me to start putting myself back together to heal from that process was whenever I realized, I started thinking about when I was in prison and how content I had become by the end. You know, like I said, I didn't even think about getting out anymore. You know, if you think about getting out all the time, am I ever going to get out? When am I ever going to get out? You're going to go insane. I used to see people in there lose their minds all the time. I saw a guy one day just start beating beating his door and his wall with his fist until both of his fists were just busted open and bloody. And the whole time he's doing it, he's screaming that the devil was in his cell. The only thing they do is take him out and bandage his hands up and throw him back in and let him sit there and wait for his execution date. I didn't have to go through that because when I was in there, I discovered what I loved doing, which was magic. When I got out, I wanted to experience the world because I felt like I had missed out on so much. I wanted to see what people do out here. You know, I wanted to go to all these restaurants and drink at all these bars and shop in all these stores and travel around and do these things that I thought I had missed out on. And what I realized is those things do not make me happy. Those things are contributing to my brokenness. So what I did was went back to what made me happy when I was in prison, which was magic, severing my connections to the outside world. I have almost in, in the real world, I can count the number of people that I have seen in the past year on one hand. And that's not just because of, you know, quarantine or, or, COVID or any of that stuff, it's because I realized that most interactions that I had with people in the outside world did nothing but drain me. They didn't fulfill me in any way. While I was doing them, the only thing I would think is I could be somewhere doing magic right now. So I went back to a very large degree to living the way that I lived when I was in prison, you know, to, uh, to living very much like a priest or a monk. And that was what started to put me back together. That's what the death card represents. It represents the end of you being able to immerse yourself back into that world. He's the final card, that whole cycle about inward and outward in the outside world. Death is like the final card that severs you from what's going on out there. Okay, I'm going to take this off and see what you guys are talking about for a second. Let me see. Yeah, we the people says purification and integration of the past in all in all aspects is how we evolve. That is completely and absolutely true.
You know, it's not enough just to know something on an intellectual level. You have to um, integrate it. You know, there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is something you learn from books, something you watch TV. Uh, wisdom, on the other hand, is something you know in your soul. And it usually comes about through divine revelation, epiphany, something like that. Someone asked, uh, what is my opinion on Loa Glitchwitch? She says, can I hear your opinion on the LOA? I don't know what that is. Oh, Jenny Pendle says, wondering about the mystic death in initiation. There is a bunch of different kinds of death, and you will experience a lot of them in the initiation process. Death to your old life, you know, death to the way you lived before you began the initiation process. That's one kind of death. There's also the death of ego, you know, the death of self where you realize that who you thought you were your whole life is not what and who you are. You are divinity in human form. You are God made flesh, as is everyone else that you ever come across, come in contact with. Oh, thank you guys. Uh, LOA is law of attraction. Um, I mean, it works, uh, you know, there are basically what the law of attraction is, is really, really watered down magic. But the, the problem with it is it's not uh, a path. You know, it's a means of doing things. It's a means of accomplishing things. It's a means of manifesting things. It's a means of, to a certain extent, shaping reality. But it doesn't go anywhere. You know, there's no end result to it. You know, with magic... All of that sort of stuff is just a side effect. You know, like if you are a devotee in Eastern traditions to uh, the Red Terra, I mean, the main point of being a devotee of the Red Terra is to reach enlightenment. But there are certain side effects and benefits that come along with it. Like, for example, uh, people will automatically want to please you more. People will like you more that sort of thing. Now, those are not the reasons that you do those rituals, but they're like a side effect of it. Same way with manifesting things, shaping reality, all of that kind of stuff is with uh, the law of attraction. You know, those are tiny little side effects of magic. What we are looking for is uh, the completion of the great work. That's what we want to keep our eyes on. If you never go further than the manifestation stuff, eventually you're going to, most people get into trouble with it, you know, sooner or later, just because, you know, there's only so far you can go. Okay. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Say you manifested the house you wanted to live in and the car you wanted to drive and a relationship that you want to be in. And you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I've done all this, but, now what? So what's what's the answer now? Two houses, two cars, five houses, five cars, a million dollars, two million dollars. You know, and you you get to a point where you realize you can manifest everything in the world, and it's still not going to fill that hole inside yourself. 
Uh, it's not part of a path. It's just a, a trick, uh, uh, like what they would call a city, I guess, in S-I-D-H-I, you know, like a power. It's what the yogis call it. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Ray says like the guy from the source family. Yes, exactly. If you haven't seen that documentary on the source family, I'd recommend that people like that's a stage that people get stuck at. And that's where that guy got stuck at. And that's where all of the people that were with him got stuck at. And that's what got him into so much trouble is because they just got hung up and didn't realize there's anything higher. They thought they had mastered magic. They hadn't. Maybe they had mastered that particular level, but there are many, many more levels above that that they didn't even realize. Yes. Vegas Vamp says he plateaued. Yes. What truly makes Amanda says what truly makes one happy, in your opinion? Um, the only way that you will ever be happy in this world is when you cease to desire. As long as you experience desire, you will experience a lack of fulfillment because what desire is at its root is being stuck in duality. There's me and there's the thing that I desire. There's me and there's the person that I desire. There's me and there's the place that I desire. It's always duality. Desire keeps you trapped in a state of duality. Now, Desire is not something that you can force yourself to not experience. I'm not saying suppress desire or repress desire. Uh, that does not work. All that does, anytime you suppress those things or repress those things, it's going to basically manifest in some really um, unfortunate way for the most part. But there are techniques that you can do that eventually makes desire fade. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't still experience preference. You will always experience preference. Even at the death of desire, you will still prefer to wear one type of clothes over a different type of clothes. You will have preference for the food you eat. You will, you will prefer one kind of food to another. You'll prefer spending time in the company of one person over a different person. You will still prefer things. You'll still experience preference, but desire no longer controls your actions. And that, like I said, I don't mean suppressing it or yes, Andrew Greenville says uh, desire leads to suffering. Absolutely. Either you suffer because you don't have what you desire or you get what you want and you suffer because you get it and you realize it doesn't, it, it's not what you thought it was going to be. It doesn't fulfill the whole. Okay, guys, um, I'm going to stop for now. Let me see what you just look through one last time real quick. Yeah. Oh, Vegas Vamp. This is a really good question. Oh, one other thing. Jen, Jen says, I think all practitioners plateau at one point or another. They do. But that's also the point of having a really, really good teacher a, or a really, really good tutor. 
a tutor realizes when you have plateaued and knows how to get you over it to the next level. There are times in my development that I hit a plateau. You know, like say, for example, the the guy in the source, how he learns how to manifest things, how to shape reality. And he thinks, oh, I know whatever there is to know now. I know everything going on behind the scenes of reality. I've reached that point before where I thought I knew what there was to know about magic. And the person who was tutoring me would give me this nudge that would cause an explosion. And I would realize, oh, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that I haven't done. Uh, And it would get me off of that plateau. That's the point or part of the point of a really good teacher is getting you past those plateaus. Um, Oh, Vegas Vamp says, is it possible to be at two or three different levels at the same time? Absolutely. But it will usually be in different areas of your life. You know, some people will be very, very far advanced or will have mastered the intellectual level, the mental body, the mercury sphere, the hod sphere on the tree of life, however you want to look at it. Uh, But they will still be really far down emotionally. Another person may have mastered all the emotional lessons of the initiation process, but still be really, really low on the intellectual uh, parts. You know, uh, um, one of our patrons on here, a guy named Jake, was talking about recently how important it is to get your life in order, your real world physical life in order before you start trying to advance up the tree. You know, most people, you'll get people that, you know, for example, can't even um, pay their bills, you know, can't even figure out how to get their life together. But, you know, they want to be a master of all these realms. You know, they're still like, you know, 40 years old and living in their mom's basement. Uh, and, and, but, you know, in their mind, they're a master of magic. You know, this is, uh, what Israel Regarde and Aleister Crowley referred to as cosmic foo-foo. It's like, if you can't get, if, if that, if you're a master of magic, it will manifest in your outer world. That doesn't mean you won't have to do a lot of work to get there, but you will see evidence of it in that person's outer life. And that's one of the things Crowley meant by let success be thy proof. If you are, if you succeed at this work, your outer life will reflect all of those inner attainments and developments. Okay. I'm going to stop for now. Um, Yes, Jen, that's exactly right. Got to get Malkuth together first. Yes. Exactly, Michael. Start at Malkuth and work upwards. That is exactly right. Let me see. Somebody's saying they want to know what Andrew is talking about. Let me see if I can find what Andrew is talking about. Oh, there it is. Andrew says, would beginning initiation earnestly help get their life in order? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah, yeah, you know, just because like I was saying, whenever you are doing this work, it will manifest in the physical world in some way. And I'll give you an example. One time a few years ago, 
I didn't like where I was living. And I started doing ritual work every day with the intention of, I would say, let me live in a beautiful house or a beautiful apartment, uh, you know, where I love being, you know, just a really great place to live. Let me be, let me live in a really great place to live. One day I'm walking through the house and I noticed just out of the corner of my eye, I noticed down in the corner was a spider web in a corner of one of the rooms. And I get down and start cleaning it out. And the next thing I know, I have went on a two week long cleaning spree where I have cleaned every crack, corner and crevice in my entire apartment. Not only have I cleaned everything, I've been rearranging everything. I started putting up string lights. And then I realized this is how my ritual manifested. Not with me, you know, suddenly finding myself in a mansion somewhere, but with me taking physical action in the realm of Malkuth to actually improve my environment. So by doing those rituals, it was it was manifesting in it takes the path of least resistance, I guess I should say, if that makes sense. But yes, uh, people will find that whenever they go through the initiation process, um, My mind went black. Oh, whenever they go through the initiation process, and I'm going to shut up in one second, they will find themselves starting to change, sometimes almost unconsciously. I have a friend who said the first time he went through the very first level initiation uh, with a, a, a magical order, uh, he, like a week later, was thinking, you know, what was the point of that? That didn't work. That didn't do anything to me. And then all of a sudden, he started realizing, you know, like, he started wanting to go camping more and go hiking and spend more time outdoors. And that's because the first level of initiation that he had received was the earth level. So he was suddenly finding himself making all of these movements in his life to get more connected with the earth by camping, by hiking, by doing all this outdoor stuff. And that was whenever it was like an epiphany went off in his head and he said, oh my God, this, this actually works. This is doing something to me. It changes the way you interact with the physical world, which will change the shape of your life. Okay. And I'm going to shut up. Uh, We will pick up the next time we start, we will pick up with temperance which is another one of my favorite cards. And this is, remember how I was talking about the Archangel showing up in the cards? Uh, and we had Raphael in The the Lovers. Uh, this is Mikael in Temperance. And that's where we're going to pick up next time because we are almost an hour and 20 minutes into this. Okay, guys, uh, I just want to thank you again for being with me, for wanting to do this. Um And I hope that you're getting something out of this and that you're enjoying it as much as I am. Okay, guys, uh, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you very soon. I love you guys. And thank you for being with me.